0: This podcast is for you if you want to learn about the wonderful and wacky world of the English language and the people who speak it. If you want to learn English, speak English, and understand different speakers of English, then you're in the right place and you're going to love our podcast episode today. Welcome to English World with Chris Amerikos. We are a team of language lovers, expert teachers, and native speakers who are on a mission to help people around the world speak English and show the world their true value. We correct mistakes, practice pronunciation, and explore grammar rules while drinking coffee and having fun. So get comfortable, relax, grab a pen and paper, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by English Every Day, an unlimited speaking practice program where you can join live speaking practice lessons with professional native teachers five times every day. There are a lot of courses on the internet and a lot of useful videos too, but the one thing that is missing for most English learners is practice. And if you need speaking practice, then English Every Day is for you. So click the link in the description or go to chrisamericost.com to learn more today
1: all right today we have richard with us and richard tell us a little bit about how you got started with teaching and youtube how did that come about
2: okay yeah well so i began teaching english uh in peru in i think it was 1996 or 1997 maybe the beginning of I I went to Peru in 1996 okay um I think I I was just well actually I didn't start in Peru I started in Ecuador um when I was younger when I was a kid I didn't really I only visited a foreign country once uh, where did you grew was, up? I grew sorry. Yeah, I grew up in. I'm from a, pl- a city called Brighton. It's in the south of England. It's um, a famous in England. It's uh, a. It's famous in England because it's actually the first seaside resort. Okay. So the reason being that it's 50 miles from London. So until the 18th century, this place was a little village uh, on the south coast of Britain. And then at some point there was a king, I can't remember his name, which king it was. Uh, I think it was King George, George or something. There are so many Georges that I don't remember which George it was. But well, when he was a prince, his father told him that he could have a palace, but it had to be within 50 miles of London. So he built this. Palace. He was a bit crazy, this king. He's the crazy king, actually. I think well, at that time he was a prince, but I think he's the one that lost the American colonies, lost the American War of Independence. Okay. he was there was a movie about him, wasn't it crazy King George or something? Anyway, he built this palace and this palace called the Brighton Pavilion, and he based the design on the Taj Mahal. It's, mm-hmm. So it's got like minuets and things, everything. it's it's a spectacular building. And with that, because of he built this palace there, this this city Brighton, exploded because it became very popular with rich people who wanted to visit the seaside. And then in the nineteenth century with the with the development of the railways, it became possible to travel from London to Brighton in one hour so okay uh the city exploded uh, and it has another name it's called london by the sea <laughs> london by the sea so i'm from brighton and uh i i grew up there in that city so my my talking about my accent it's very brighton is london overspill that means everybody who is who, who is in brighton either was born in London, or is a descendant of someone who was born in London. So both my parents were born in uh, were born in London. So my the accent in Brighton is pretty really much the same as, maybe a little bit different, but more or less the same as a London accent. So I've gone off the subject completely. I don't no, 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 that's fine. That was that was really interesting
1: to hear about because um, most of your experience. And English teaching takes place in Spanish-speaking countries. And
2: so when did that transition happen? To teach in English in Spanish-speaking countries? Well, going back to origin, what I was talking about originally uh, was when I went to Peru. Uh, so I didn't, when I was young, when I was a kid, I didn't really have the opportunity to visit other countries. I mean, we went to one, con- when I was a kid, we went to we went to Italy when I was about 10. Um, you know, traveling to foreign countries, because I'm 60 now, so, you know, I grew up in the 60s, 70s, wasn't so common at that time. I mean, I don't remember when I was a kid at school, anybody who who went to the, to the Americas, who went to the United States. I mean, now it's very, I mean, lots of people here in Mexico have traveled to Europe, you know, into Uh, transatlantic travel wasn't very common and even traveling in Europe you know because it didn't the the airline industry wasn't deregulated until the late 80s so it was very expensive so I went to Italy when I was about 10 then when I was 20 so I didn't have a point is I didn't really have any experience of other cultures you know Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, I didn't actually go on a plane. The first time I went on a plane was when I went to Portugal and Spain, which was like when I was 22 years old. I went to Greece when I was 21. I spent three months in Greece, um, and that—I mean, I went on the bus. You know, <laughs> um, that opened, started to open my eyes to other cultures, and yeah, for me, it was a fantastic experience. But after that, I mean, a couple of years later, I went to Spain and Portugal when I was about 24 years old. And then I went again, I spent about three months there, uh, mainly in Portugal, but also a month in Madrid, which I remember was a fantastic experience because it must have been about, 19, I think it's about 1987 or something like that. But Madrid was amazing. I mean, uh, I just remember that The life there at night was incredible. You know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, it was just alive with people. (laughs) But then after that, I went back to the UK, and because of commitments, I had relationships, girlfriends, and I was working. I didn't travel again until I was about, I think I must have been 32 or something like that. And I thought, you know, I want to travel because I'd enjoyed traveling when I was young with this trip to Greece and this trip to Spain. And I, and I, I was in a situation where I had I had a bit of money, not a lot of money, but I had a, enough money to maybe support myself for some time. I wasn't in a relationship. So I, did, I first of all, I thought I'd go to Spain. Um, I was always interested to, I didn't speak any Spanish, but I always liked the Spanish language. I don't know if that makes sense. If you don't understand something and you say, well, I liked that. Does that make any sense to you? Sure, sure. You like how
1: it sounds or maybe you were like more interested in that than other foreign languages.
2: Yeah, I was always sort of interested in the Spanish culture and, uh, and the Spanish language, even though I didn't speak it. So, my initially, I was thinking of going to Spain. Then I thought, no, I don't want to go to Spain. I've already been to Spain. I want to go somewhere more exciting. You know, I know I'm going to go to South America. So, at that time, my knowledge of South America or Latin America was, what we say in English, you know, I, I could have written it on a postage stamp. <laughs> my idea i used to look at the map and i used to think hey why have they got all those countries they all speak spanish why, is, why are there are so many countries there of course now i realize that all the countries argentina peru mexico they were very different cultures but at that time i didn't understand that so i ended up buying a ticket to um ecuador um, I'm not sure why I went to Ecuador, maybe because I read that Ecuador was actually one of the cheapest countries. And I, I had, like I said, I had money, but not a lot of money. I wanted to stretch my money out. Yeah. Okay. So I went to Ecuador and basically I was just backpacking, backpacking around Ecuador. And I spent, I think I spent a month in Ecuador. Um, and. That's when I started to learn Spanish. Basically, I had a book and the name of the book was Spanish in three months.
0: <laughs>
2: uh, so <laughs> obviously it didn't work because it's like 20 years later and my Spanish is still not that good. Oh, but I think your
1: Spanish it, is amazing. Yeah. Well, how was that happened? first month when you first got there and you said you went backpacking that first month? How was that? Because you didn't have any command of the language at that point right the thing
2: is that right from the beginning i tried to speak spanish but of course i didn't understand anything and i had this book uh the thing is that i i progressed a lot in the first year a lot i mean it's the the old uh analogy of the apple tree when you're learning something you've got the apple tree and the, it's easy to get the apples at the bottom of the tree, but difficult to get the ones at the top. So uh, what I did was I, I had this book, Spanish, in three months, which obviously now I know you cannot possibly learn a language in three months. But the book was, it was, what was the publisher? I think it's called Google. Remember, this was sort of like pre-internet too, because it was 1996. So the internet was just, I mean, it just, it was just becoming available, the internet. No
1: GPS when you're backpacking.
2: No, no GPS. No, no, I didn't have, they didn't, when I arrived in Ecuador and Peru, they didn't have internet. It actually arrived, became available more or less to the public the same year that I was there. So yeah, we got our information from books, but the book was very heavily based on Mm -hmm. uh, grammar or grammar translation method. Mm-hmm. So it was showing you that this is the present simple tense in English. This is the present simple tense in Spanish. This is the past simple in English, etc. So it was very uh, robotic. Yeah, it was the old, you know, the old the the traditional method method methodology of teaching English. Okay. Uh so this It didn't teach me Spanish, but it gave me an understanding of Spanish, which I later could apply. So I used that book as the basis. And then after that, what I did was I also had a little, again, remember we didn't have the internet, so you couldn't look up words. We didn't have smartphones. So I had a little pocket English-Spanish dictionary and a notebook and every time i wanted to learn a word i i looked it up in a dictionary and i wrote it down in english and spanish and i tried to use that word but it, yeah it was difficult especially at the beginning and but like i said it, i progressed very rapidly with being able to express myself but not so rapidly with being able to understand other people, which sometimes even today is difficult, listening has always been my weakness with with foreign languages. And let me tell you something else. I mean, I am the worst. when I was at school. Uh, well, the first thing is that most people in Britain don't speak another language, or at least most people of my generation. Uh, I don't. I don't know anybody who speaks another language in England. Uh, so when we were at school, we did have French for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. But I don't speak any French. I mean, French was my worst subject. Foreign language was my worst subject. I, I remember being in the French class and the teacher saying, this is masculine and this is feminine. And what, what are you talking about? What do you mean it's masculine and feminine? I, did, <laughs> I couldn't even understand the concept. Yeah, I, I remember
1: know. in school when I was learning foreign languages, the same thing. I I looked under the table and I was like, I don't see anything. Yeah, <laughs> That's what it was for me because, uh, yeah, in school, the same thing. I, I studied a bunch of languages, but then I didn't have any application of them. So, like, um, I studied Spanish for three years. I studied Italian for three years. I studied Latin for one year. I studied French for one year. And the result of all of that was... I couldn't speak any of them.
2: Yeah, and... it's like anything though, isn't it? If you don't use it's like I learned fra- how to multiply fractions at school, but I've never you haven't used it and I can't remember to it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So why did you learn all those languages though? Because uh, I just loved language learning. Oh, you you and... always love language learning. Yeah. yeah I actually so... I didn't like it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah in my difference.
1: Like when I was in middle school, in my spare time, I was trying to learn some languages. I I would go through different dictionaries and grammar books, and um, so like that was really useful wow. when I came to learning them because in yeah. high school I lived in Italy for two years, and so there I actually got to learn it, learn Italian and apply it. But then I didn't speak it for so long. So like right now I don't even remember any of the basics if someone says a few words i might be able to understand them but like
2: yeah like... i always have that fear that if i left mexico or for example currently i with I live with my girlfriend and she speaks english but i don't want to speak to her in english because she's really the only person that i speak to in spanish and i think no i'm just going to forget it i'm going to forget it yeah but i think too I, I think what you're saying too is that Uh, There's another idea, and that is that you don't really learn another language in the same sense that you learn mathematics or geography. You actually have to acquire a language. Exactly. It's not to say that you should throw all your grammar books away because, as I've said, those are useful. But at the end of the day, if you don't use it, if you don't practice it in a meaningful, communicative way, then it's not going to do you any good learning all the grammar. Yeah. That's super important.
1: Rules. Super important for people to hear. That's thanks because a lot of people, uh, forget the acquisition of the language part. And like you yeah. gave this a great example of using the book, even though it might not be the best resource or whatever, what we can make whatever judgment about that, but it was a stepping stone in you acquiring the language. And so yeah, you know, people can use whatever resources they have. And there's so many today, right?
2: Yeah, today you've got a lot of advantages with the internet. You've got everything on the internet, and I mean, coming back to that, you know, back in, for example, in your case, in the USA, probably you more exposed. I don't know in the past, but certainly now to the Spanish language. Yeah, but in Britain, I mean, there was like zero exposition to the Spanish language, or sorry, zero exposure, I should say, to the to the Spanish language. I mean we could get I remember you could tune in to some radio stations and the only thing you got was like Spanish commentary on football matches, so <laughs> yeah. soccer matches, as you say in US. Yeah. yeah so yeah. uh and and in my case, I had to learn everything. I mean, you are telling me that you learned Latin, Italian. So you had an idea, for example, about the way you change the verb inflections. To, oh, yeah. According to the... I, I didn't even know anything about that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because, you know, I, in English, it's I go, you go, we go. And boy, Bas, and in Spanish, it's, what's going on? Didn't yeah. had to learn all that, you
1: know? That's so true. When you learn the first foreign language or when you study the first foreign language, you start to learn all those concepts that apply to your own first language. So you learn your first language even better and deeper. And yeah. then you can apply those basics to pretty much any other language that you see or, or want to interact with. It's really a cool skill that you get with the first language that you study
2: or learn. Yeah. So, yeah, well, moving on, I mean, carrying on with my story because I'll come to how I started to teach English because that actually sort of follows on from what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, so I went to you know Ecuador as a backpacker I spent a month going around Ecuador and then I, I went to Peru. Um uh traveled around Peru, I went to Bolivia, traveled around Bolivia, I went to Chile, traveled a bit around Chile, and then I came back to Peru and I came back into to to Arequipa. And there I met my first wife. I actually ended up getting married in Peru. Wow. So uh I I decided that I wanted to stay in Peru. I mean I really liked it there. But the problem was the economy. The economy was very, very bad. Uh, so I opened this shop, I had a little shop selling uh uh like souvenirs, and the business wasn't very good. And one day somebody came in the shop and they said would you like to teach English? And I said, No, no, no. I don't want to teach English. I don't. Ha- I don't know anything about teaching English. And they said, No, there's no problem. It's you go to an insurance company and it's um, it's just conversation classes. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, Okay, I'll give it a try. So that that's basically how I started teaching English. Cool. Uh, so I just went to the and they were advanced students. So I just used to go down. Then we just used to read some news article and. Talk about it, and that was it. Yeah. But then later on, the shop that I had didn't work out, so I got another job teaching English. And this is coming back to what you were saying about the grammar, how you learn about the grammar. Uh, and in that, it was more of a structured. I got a. I got a job in a school, uh, not a school. Sorry, a, a, a language school, a language school uh-huh. teaching English in Arequipa. Actually, it was the, what was it called? It was called the Inst- Institute, North American Peruvian Institute or something like that. Okay. It's quite big in Peru. Well, anyway, they, they said, okay, there you go. You're teaching begin- level uh, intermediate students. And they gave me the book. So I went in the class and started the class and we came to present perfect. And I'm, what is present perfect? <laughs> I didn't know what it was i no idea what the present perfect was. Obviously as a native speaker you you know where you use the present perfect and you intrinsically know the rules for using the present perfect and how to form the present perfect but if you ask the average native speaker a person who hasn't studied foreign language what is the present perfect where do we use it blah 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 they're not going to be an answer and it when i came to the grammar bits in the book i was like ah this is the present perfect and let's move on and and the students they they like knew that i didn't know what i was talking about uh it's in terms yeah. of grammar you know they were just laughing
1: yeah um, yeah i think every teacher has that moment in their first or second lesson yeah and-
2: because i didn't have any experience You know, when we're at when I was a kid at school, we studied grammar, but it wasn't. It was more like punctuation and writing. It wasn't. We didn't study the present perfect or the past simple. Uh, I can't remember what we studied in grammar. I did have grammar classes actually. I can't remember what I studied. So, I mean, the best way to learn something is to teach it. So after teaching. For some time. And later on, I I returned to UK and I actually got a teacher certificate in teaching English. But that was after I'd already been teaching for for two years in Peru. And Peru was a fantastic experience. And I loved it there. And I loved teaching English there. But the problem was at that time, the economy in Peru was very, very bad. Uh, we're talking about the late nineties. I was there from like nineteen ninety six to nineteen ninety nine, three years. I mean, I remember I got a job in a in a school in a secondary school, which actually I hated because that is my only experience of teaching adolescents. And I, I since then I never teach adolescents because uh, I was teaching from like eleven to sixteen year olds. I think they were. And the eleven-year-olds, they are fantastic. You go in the class and you say, "Who knows the answer to this question?" And all the kids are like, "Yeah, me sir, me, 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 me," very enthusiastic. But the next year, you go in the class and who knows the answer to this question? It's like, you yeah, know, there's like a metamorphic change between the 11 and the 12 year old, the 12 and the 13 year olds, when they become adolescents, they just... But anyway, in that school, I think my salary, I think I was earning about $200 a month, Mm -hmm. um, which was a pretty good salary in Peru when you consider that in the states, this was a private school, in the state school, the salary was $100. But, you know, it, even in 1996 in Peru, it was a very low salary. I mean, the thing about Peru at that time was that if you bought anything that came from Peru, it was cheap. You could mm-hmm. afford it. But anything that was imported, if you wanted a computer or a TV, or it, it was the same. It was more expensive than it was in the United States, for example. Car, forget it. Yeah so it was really tough uh so that is the main reason that i left peru And uh, i went back to the uk and spent 18 months there but i really like my experience in latin america and uh, I, I i did a certificate teaching english and that time and i got offered a job i actually also got divorced and i got offered a job I didn't get offered a job. I, I I I found a job in 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 Monterrey in Mexico uh, teaching English, and I really wanted to go back to Latin America. So I took this job teaching English in Monterrey, Mexico, and returned to Latin America. But I got a complete shock because Monterrey uh, is a big industrial city. In the north of Mexico, it's like two hours from Texas, and it is nothing like Peru. No, absolutely, completely different from Peru. Yeah, uh, completely and utterly different. As different as I don't know. It's uh, uh, maybe I can't. I can't give you a, a, an analogy. Not really, but a completely different place. But it was actually turned out to be one of the best places that you can teach English because, I mean, I worked for a school for a couple of years, but then after that, I was just an independent English teacher for about the next 15 years. Wow. Because the thing about Monterey is that it's, a, it's big. I don't know what the exact population is, but you're probably talking about 10 million people, I guess. And because of it's Nuevo León, which is the state, which it's in is um, it's the it's the richest state in terms of GDP. It has an incredible GDP. Um, yeah. The GDP is probably on par with some European countries. Whereas, if you compare Mexico as a whole, Mexico right. has a I don't know the exact figures, but there are many many American companies in Monterey. You know, and now you've got, uh, for example. Automotive industry. You've got Whirlpool making the fridges and the air conditioners. So many, many, many companies there. Um, Kia. Uh, what's the name of that car? Kia. Kia cars have got a huge plant there, making all their vehicles for the North American market. So there is an enormous pressure on people in Monterey to learn English. And there are many companies and they will pay, you know, uh, teachers to teach English. And another advantage of living there is that Monterey is not in any way a tourist city. It, if it, yeah. Tourists who come to Mexico, they go to Cancun, they come here to Yucatan, they go to the Copper Canyon, they go to Baja California, but they don't go to Monterey. You very rarely see... A tourist in Monterey, there are some, the tourists that you see are often business people or visiting companies there and then maybe do a little bit of tourism, maybe some national tourism. Yeah. So you can go months in Monterey without yeah. seeing a foreigner. I mean, ninety ninety eight 98% of the population are um, Mexican so there's a very maybe now there's a few more because there's quite a few koreans there now because of the kia cast so that gave me a huge advantage because being british or being a native english speaker and teaching english there was a was a huge advantage and actually it was you know if anyone wants to go and teach english i'd recommend going to monterey because it really is a great place for teaching english and I did quite well there, you know, just working for myself. I didn't, which I love because I don't like to have a boss. So <laughs> yeah. I just fifteen years just doing my classes, I, I had a web page and I got all my clients like that I work with many people, executives, uh, people from all walks of life, really interesting people, um, you know, doctors, uh, marketing executives, any any profession. Lawyers, any profession. It's amazing. It's amazing who you can meet as an English teacher. Yeah, yeah. I met so many people in every walk of life, and every level of English from beginners. I had groups in companies. I had people who spoke really, really good English. Probably spoke better English than me. But you know, every every level, and just met so many interesting people. And no boss. It was great. But the problem was. That I had to move around that city, and it's ten million people, and the traffic, as you probably know, in any city, is horrendous. Uh, so I I actually used the motorcycle a lot of the time, which was pretty dangerous. But I I, I go crazy in the car because I was I didn't have a place to teach, so I was uh, literally I would travel a hundred. 100, 150 kilometers, you know, 70 miles a day around that city. And sometimes the traffic was horrendous. And after 15 years of that, I was very tired of it. I didn't want to do it anymore. And that is that brings me to the YouTube channel. That is why in 2016 uh, that I started, or 2015, 2016, I started to look for another Um, way of earning money basically and my goal was to move everything online which was before the pandemic so that is why i started the the youtube channel Mm -hmm. so
1: you started before the pandemic and the pandemic do you think that helped grow it
2: i don't know what happened with my youtube channel because my youtube channel i started it the, the YouTube channel is uh, english con richard and i started it in if you if you go to my channel it says 2006 well but that's because i had the youtube account from yeah. 2006 i didn't upload any videos I, I i sort of regret not starting a new account but it's not that important this is it was actually created before uh Google, which is now called Alphabet, I think, owned YouTube. Uh-huh. Uh, so I started uploading the videos in 2016. And at the beginning, there was, you know, very little growth. Um, it was like, you know, it was one or two views a day, something like that. And then, like, after about six months, it just exploded, completely exploded, and it went from getting like 10 views a week to getting like 600 views, maybe a 1,000 views an hour. Wow. And, and yeah, it really exploded. Um, Was and, there one video that really exploded? Yeah, the, 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 the video that did it, well, it's, it's really strange because it's, the, it's still today my most popular video. And that video is the first video that I uploaded on that channel. <laughs> which is class one of a beginner's level English course for Spanish speakers. It's okay. still my, I've never been able to repeat the success of that video. In fact, my whole YouTube channel is based on that video and, and that course, which is 12 classes. Wow. Every other video, I mean, I've had some limited successes, but that—that that is the main one. That was the one that took off and it just exploded and it went up and up and up and up and up. And it kept growing at an incredible rate until 2018. And then since 2018, the views have just gone down and down and down and down. So coming back to your question, did the pandemic help? No, I don't think it did because it did initially because there was a, a, a blip in like March. When was it? 2020, wasn't it? When suddenly everybody was at home, Oh, I've got to learn English, and they were all on YouTube, and it blipped. Yeah. But then after that, the the process went down. But then I think a lot of other people came on YouTube, and there's just so much competition, so many people doing it. Yeah, yeah. I mean there were already a lot of people doing it when I started in 2016, but now it's like even more people. I, mean, just, I don't. I actually don't look at. I don't go on there and see how many people are doing it because it's. I, I try and avoid that okay. scenario of looking at other YouTubers. I mean, I do to some of them. I think a lot of people who look at your channel though,
1: they'd see that, you know, you have over 200,000 subscribers right now and that's a that's a big channel and that's a successful channel. And so they'd you know, I think yeah. it'll be for people to hear how you how you got there, this this one video really drove a lot of the growth.
2: It was that only that video really that drove the growth. Yeah, uh, any other video? I've got hundreds of videos on there now, and most of them haven't been very successful. Talking about subscribers, uh, I, I mean the YouTube subscriber thing for me uh, is. Sort of like meaningless in a way for me. I've always been about views. Uh, I think YouTube. I mean, I don't know what your experience is with the subscribers. Do you have a? How do you feel about the subscribers? For the longest time, I didn't care, and
1: then I started to look at it more as like a, a status kind of thing, you know. So it's like the the big number that people are trying to get on their channel and. Um, yeah, kind of rewards that in their own way. And so, so I look at it from that point of view, but yeah, as, as far as like the, the actual number to me, it really doesn't matter because we drove most of our growth through ads promoting our product. So most people who are, who are subscribers of our channel, like more than half of them came from ads. They saw an ad and then they checked out the channel. They subscribed.
2: Okay, you were putting, what was that, Google ads
1: or Facebook ads or? uh, The ones that mostly drove those subscribers were YouTube ads. Okay. Yeah, wherever you advertise, then that platform will grow. Like We do a lot on Facebook, and so there we're at like six hundred, seven hundred thousand 700,000 followers of that page that we run the ads through. So wherever you run the ads, then that thing just grows because of that too. Okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I have a – I mean, I might have had a few little ad campaigns, but not really. Nearly all my growth comes from YouTube, actually. But, yeah, talking about the subscribers, I think at the beginning, probably because at the beginning I was probably looking, oh, you know, wow, 10 subscribers, oh, wow, 100 subscribers, you know, 1,000 subscribers. But then it, when the channel really exploded, it came to the point where I was literally getting – hundreds of subscribers every day. And let me say something. I've never actually, I don't think on I'm not one of these people who say, hey, like and subscribe, like and subscribe. I don't do that. I've got on my channel, um, because my view was I I only want people to subscribe that want to subscribe. They you know because they like the video. Uh so what the only thing I did was I put early on I put like a little overlay. That appears on all my videos, which has like a a little thing that you can click on to subscribe. That's the only thing I did. I never, never said like and subscribe, like and subscribe. I was watching a, a guy the other day and he was another channel that I watched, not related to English. But this guy had was every day on his videos subscribe to my channel. I've nearly got 100,000 subscribers. I need 100,000 subscribers. Uh, And I was like, why do you want 100,000 subscribers? What do you think is going to happen? The thing is that earlier on, I probably was interested in the subscribers because I thought if I had 200, right now I think I have like 280,000 subscribers. And I would have thought if you'd asked me five years ago, you're going to have two. If you told me five years ago, "Hey Richard, you're going to have two hundred and eighty thousand subscribers," I thought, "Wow, that's it. My life is set up because <laughs> any video that I publish is going to get two hundred and eighty thousand views." But no, it doesn't work. I don't know what. I mean, maybe ten years ago the YouTube subscriber count meant something, but today, let me tell you, I can put a video up there now and it and get two hundred views. I've got two hundred and eighty thousand subscribers. I mean, first of all, they added the bell notification thing. So just subscribing now is meaningless. (laughs) Uh, My bell notifications, I mean, in the statistics, it tells you the percentage of, I don't know what that statistic is at this off, off the top of my head, but it tells you that how many of your subscribers actually hit the bell yeah. Um, and mine is, and it, it tells you the normal range. And mine is at the top end of the range. I mean, most, which means that more than average of my subscribers actually hit the bell, but still they, they don't watch the video. So, you know, I mean, the percentage of people who watch my videos, the subscribers, is 1%. So oh. it's it, it's pretty meaningless now, I think, in 2020 three or whatever we're in well i think reaching a hundred thousand is just about getting
1: <laughs> this thing i didn't yeah. get mine come on you just you just go it. you just have to go to a special page and request yeah
2: it. i thought yeah. they like sent you a link and they they, they probably not. did but it probably
1: just got lost in spam or whatever you know so yeah i didn't it, it. I
2: never got my what well, it's like a plaque or something isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So if you, yeah, Google I should, it, yeah. you I can find Google. the the page
1: and you can request it,
2: yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not. So maybe I should because it is an achievement, I guess. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. Uh, pat yourself on the back, you know. Yeah, and it doesn't it cost is- you anything. So the so they pay for the shipping and everything. So yeah,
2: maybe I should look into it. But I think yeah, the subscribers. Uh, I think it's broken. You know, I'm more interested in views and subscribers, and they're not not that good at the moment. And recently, I actually started another channel because I wanted to, I mean, at the beginning, every I put my channel was English for Spanish speakers. You know, it's English con Richard. The channel is in Spanish. And the reason that I did that was, I guess, because I was... Um, Living in Mexico for 20 years and surrounded by Spanish speakers. so and I was already teaching Spanish speakers um, and additionally, I think I thought it would be an advantage being bilingual to speak to teach Spanish speakers. Uh, probably it wasn't because there are many, many many bilingual. But that was the the idea that I had, you know. Especially in Definitely. the United States now, there are many people who are you know 100 bilingual, speaking perfect Spanish and perfect English. Uh, so probably it wasn't an advantage. And another disadvantage of it is that if you look into the the, the monetary side of YouTube. uh Uh, If your audience is in the United States, for example, you earn a lot more from the revenue than you do in Bolivia or Ecuador. I mean, every country, if you get at that, if I had the views that I had, if my my, my main audience is probably Mexico and Spain are my two main countries, but, you know, Latin America and, and the US, there's a lot of, uh Spanish speakers in the u s who don't speak English and I've actually had those some of those people's private students. but if you look at the statistics, you see that every country the rate that you earn on YouTube is different for example the the best yeah. place to have views is in the u s right and then second would be europe uh colombia Peru the earnings from videos in those countries is not so high, so that that's a disadvantage. Uh, so recently, I did actually start another channel, which is English with Richard, which I'm trying to do, uh, you know, advanced English classes. Because my audience, too, I, 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 I seem to be repeating the same things, because my audience mainly is are beginners. Not all of them, but, but this is the main part of my audience, is people who are attracted to my channel because of my beginner level course right i keep repeating the same subjects after six or seven years that i've been doing it just keep repeating the same subjects over and over again Uh, and it gets a bit tedious you know so because when i was in monterey like i told you before i was teaching all levels and business english and everything so the other channel actually there i am looking at the subscribers because now on youtube you know you need a thousand subscribers to monetize it which wasn't the case in the past it was as soon as you started to get a certain amount of views you were you were monetized from the beginning i think but you didn't earn anything they didn't pay out until you you got a certain amount of views it was a threshold i think it's a hundred dollars or something like that Yeah. Uh, So on the other channel, yeah, I think I've got like 900 subscribers and I'm backing. Yeah, I need another hundred, you know, something like that. But even then, it's not going to work because you also now you need a certain amount of view time. So that other channel is like really small at the moment. But I have maybe in the future, I will concentrate more on that because I think I've like finished everything on the the other one. I mean, I'm still doing the odd live class.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think that your first channel attracted exactly the audience that you made the content for, right?
2: Yeah, and that's true. Did, yeah.
1: Did a really good job of that. Um, how would you describe, you know, the the teaching English as a foreign language community on YouTube as a whole? Like is it a positive place to be making this content or you know, how do you feel about that?
2: Um, is it a positive place to make, yeah, I think YouTube for me has been a positive experience. I mean, I've tried on other platforms, Facebook, for example. You know, if you want to do anything on Facebook, if you want to produce content on Facebook, you have to pay Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> you know, to you're making the content, you have to pay for it, pay him. On YouTube, I've made money on YouTube. You know, YouTube, TikTok. I put videos on TikTok. You can get thousands of views on TikTok. Uh, you're not going to earn any money, and the videos are shorter. So, I think, yeah, the you, uh, as a platform, YouTube is number one for this type of this di- teaching English. Mm-hmm. But is your question about the quality of the? I English- guess the the
1: community of teachers, the community of content creators, the people who are who are doing this.
2: Do because- you personally feel part of a community of teachers?
1: uh i i think that you know what drew me to you is that you have a channel an established channel and that you have content there in a certain niche right on a certain topic and so i think that y- maybe you don't consider yourself part of that community but you mm-hmm. take a lot of the same behaviors that the other people take as okay. far as publishing and you know, trying to grow, like similar goals that people are are pursuing in the same area. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, actually, you're the first other YouTube teacher that I've ever met. So, oh, <laughs> that's cool. what I meant. I like being high five. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Like I said to you before, I don't really look at other teachers too much because at the beginning I did. Maybe because I wanted to see, maybe for ideas sometimes, mm-hmm. but also at the beginning, there were some other particular channels which there were a few that started more or less the same time as mine. And it was like it became a little bit competitive, maybe in my head, where I was, Oh, great, I've got more views than that one, and then this one is getting more views than me. And hey, why has that guy got a million views and I've got 300? views or whatever i don't know and it, it was uh wasn't a, well how can i put it it's not really uh, positive when you start thinking like that comparing yourself to other people True. because there are always channels that are more successful and there are many channels that are completely unsuccessful so i mean my channel i think is like in the middle you know i would obviously I would like to have more success um but if you're talking about the quality of teaching on YouTube, uh, I think, you know, there's good and there's bad and there's there's everything on there. There are some particular, uh, I mean, I don't want to mention any names or anything, but there are some people who are just uh, just in it to make money. I mean, let's be honest, everybody who's on YouTube probably is on there to make money, but... At the same time, in my case, i want to make money. I don't make that much money directly out of YouTube, but it's a platform to promote, you know, my other, I, I have like group classes in Zoom, yeah. I have private classes, I sell English courses. Uh, uh, so YouTube, I mean, I need to eat, basically. I need to yeah. have money. But there's uh, some
1: channels that take that too far. Is that what you're saying? Because well, there's, there's some are, kind of there's some kind of line between education and business, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm also like what I do, and I'm happy to provide because, like I said, I lived in Latin America for a long time. I spent that time in Peru, which was very hard for me economically. So I know there are many, many people in Latin America uh who, who who don't have the money to pay for english classes so i'm ha- i i i feel good that i'm doing something positive and that i'm helping people to learn english that i'm teaching people mm-hmm. english if somebody can't afford to pay for english classes then my youtube channel is perfect for them but at the same time like i said i need to eat yes. so i need to earn money so i need to s- make money off youtube which isn't a lot sell courses sell classes that supports me but there are other people who are just in it for uh to make money and they there is a scam they they are telling people things that are not true uh like what I don't want to, I mean, you could say something like, hey, I've just developed a fantastic new way to teach English. I can teach you English in 10 days using my scientifically developed program. And obviously it's it's, it's not true, but (laughs) unfortunately there's a lot of people who believe it because they want to believe it. I mean, I would say to anyone, be very wary of anybody who is going to tell you that they have a, scientifically proven way that you can learn English 10 times quicker than anybody else or something like that, because not true. I mean, the, this, the the language is, this is a multi million, maybe a multi-billion dollar industry. Do you think that if somebody had developed a revolutionary new scientific methodology to teach languages that everybody would be using that very quickly? So, yeah, but there are good and there are bad. Some are some very, very good teachers on YouTube. Uh, you got to look at it from the point of view. I mean, if if I wanted to learn Chinese, for example, would I use YouTube? That is a question. Uh, what do you think? I mean, if you wanted to learn another language, would you would you would you use YouTube? So yeah, I would select a
1: channel that's in English teaching the foreign language. So that it's teaching me in my first language. And so you're
2: a believer in that in that way of teaching and using the, the native language as a I think as a learner, that's
1: the first place I would go. Yeah. Um and so I would learn, you know, alphabet or some basic stuff like that. So I, I've tried that a couple of times with like Arabic, Chinese.
2: Oh really? How did you get but, on with Arabic? Because that's supposed but, to be like the most difficult language. Really? Uh, think... Yeah, there's like a scale somewhere of language difficulty. And Arabic is at the top. I think it's even harder than Chinese, supposedly. Well, I think Japanese is a lot harder.
1: Yeah. I think Japanese is somewhere at the top. But um, Arabic, I mean, I didn't go deep enough. I learned some basics and then moved on to the next thing and, you know, got busy and I didn't pursue it and didn't have any application for it. Right. So it was just an interest and so but but anyways as as just like a surface level learner like that then youtube was a resource that i used to but learn.
2: how do you know that the person that is teaching you is pronouncing the words correctly is teaching don't. you correctly knows what they're talking about basically you don't you don't
1: you just go from signs of you know s- symbols yeah. of authority that you see on their channel and and other stuff
2: for example certificates or things like that or
1: just if it right it's something about making it look like it looks Question. legit right and yeah. so i think number of subscribers
2: plays into that for the learner too yeah maybe yeah i mean i think yeah you i think maybe the best advice would be to not just use one particular source maybe yeah. Use a variety of sources and then you couldn't you might find the ones that are not are saying something different or pronouncing a word differently from another from another uh, from the rest you know that would be an indication that it wasn't wasn't legit
1: so yeah. to speak absolutely. Well, Richard, thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat with me today. Um, Can you tell everybody where they can find you?
2: Yeah, sure. So you can visit my website, which is inglesconrichard.com. That's in Spanish. Uh, So I've got courses there. I've got Zoom group classes, Zoom. Uh, Or you can visit my YouTube channel, Richards, Or you can visit my new English channel, which doesn't have many videos on, which is in English, which is English with Richard. Awesome. And we'll put all the links under the video, under the episode,
1: so that you can find Richard after finishing this video.
2: Okay. Thanks a lot, Chris. Thank you. Nice
0: talking to you. Thank you for tuning in to English World with Chris Amerikos. Now it's your turn. Don't just listen to English, speak English with us every day. Join our English Everyday speaking program today. See you in the next episode. Bye bye.